Thank you, Steve. Good morning, everybody. If Steve's career as a professional educator doesn't work out, I think he's got a future as a preacher because two times in that announcement series, I heard, and finally, and finally. <laughs> you, you know what it means when a pastor looks at his watch and says, and finally? It doesn't mean anything. Okay, well, we got to dive in here. We're continuing with our preparing for your next pastor series, and I think it is pretty amazing just the way this is all falling into place, Uh, particularly today's topic. Today and then October 13th, we're going to talk about how to have a good fight, and the emphasis is on good, and this morning we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 4. If you want to open your Bible there, Ephesians chapter 4. And I'm going to read verses um, 14 and following down to about verse 26 or verse 27. So let's, uh, let's just follow through the text and then we're going to raise a couple of principles to think about here this morning. So just following here the description of the gifts and the gifted men that God has given to his church. Um, so that we might all grow. Verse 14 says, Then we will no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever they sound like the truth. Instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. He makes the whole body fit together perfectly. As each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. With the Lord's authority, Paul says, I say this, live no longer as the Gentiles do. They are hopelessly confused. Their minds are full of darkness. They wander far from the life God gives because they have closed their minds and hardened their hearts against Him. They have no sense of shame. They live for lustful pleasure and eagerly practice every kind of impurity. But that isn't what you learned about Christ. Since you have heard about Jesus and have learned the truth that comes from Him, throw off your old sinful nature and your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. Instead, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. Put on your new nature, created to be like God, truly righteous and holy, So stop telling lies. Well, Paul really gets personal here. Let us tell our neighbors the truth. We are all parts of the same body. And don't sin by letting anger control you. Don't let the sun go down while you are still angry, for anger gives a foothold to the devil. Let's pray together. Father, this is your word through the Apostle Paul, inspired by your Spirit, and given to us today, just as it was given to the first readers of this text. So we pray, Spirit of God, use this word to form us as your people, that we might be more and more like the Lord Jesus himself. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Max Ocado said this, conflict is inevitable, but combat is optional. In other words, what Lucado is talking about is anytime two humans get in the same room in any kind of relationship, there is eventually going to be 
conflict. Sparks are going to fly. Someone's going to say something and offend and hurt somebody else. It's true in uh, marriages. It's true on football teams. It's true in employee-employer relationships. It's true in parent-child relationships. And yes, it's even true of church congregations. And yet the Scripture gets very practical and gives us guidelines, principles, whereby when this conflict comes, and the Scripture assumes it's going to come, in every relationship there are going to be seasons of conflict where someone hurts or disappoints another person. And the Scripture doesn't leave us without help and hope. Instead, here in Ephesians 4, it gets really practical and really down uh, to where we live and gives us hope and guidance and help. So that's what we're going to be talking about today and uh, three weeks from now uh, after Steve Benedict has been here with you for a couple of weeks. And let me just give you a warning here. The things I'm going to talk about, we're going to share four principles from Ephesians 4, rules or laws of communicating when there's conflict. All right, that's what this is about. We'll do two of those today if I get busy and get going here, and we'll do two when I come back in three weeks. Uh, But let me just give you this fair warning, okay? Some of this stuff is very convicting. It's very personally convicting. And uh, Elaine and I, we we learned these principles years and years ago through a training that we were going through as pastor and pastor's wife, and we found it to be extremely personally convicting. We've adopted these guidelines in our own family as we were raising our three sons, and uh, we've taught these principles in lots of different places and lots of different settings, and every single time I teach them or Elaine teaches them somewhere, the Spirit of God always convicts us about something that we're struggling with in our own, you know, living this out. So uh, just warning, you might feel a poke here and there from the Spirit of God. And let me say this, let's just make this rule right now. No elbowing the person sitting next to you, okay? Not, none of that. This is, we want you to listen with a with a, how do they say it? We want you to listen with a scoop shovel, not a pitchfork. Is that a good Lancaster County uh, sort of a, so pitchfork, like take this and throw it back there to that person you think needs to hear it. Rather, we want to gather this in for ourselves, okay? Here's just another caution. As we're talking about these guidelines for communicating during conflict, the goal, the point here is not we got to learn some tools so we can get people to agree with us and see it our way uh, when we have a conflict, right? So we can be convincing. No, the, the goal here, according to Ephesians 4, is we, we are growing up in Christ, and one of the measures of our spiritual maturity is the way we communicate during conflict, but this is also a tool. It's a way that we grow in Christ is by learning to communicate during conflict, and, and, and here's, here's what I want to say. The goal is not to get another person to see it your way, Right? The goal is anytime we come to set and communicate about something that's difficult about which we disagree, the goal is to remember anytime two people are talking, there's always a third person in the room, and that's the Lord Jesus himself. That is, Jesus is listening in on my conversation. I want to so communicate in a way that he, as we used to say to our three boys growing up, 
is Jesus smiling or is he frowning right now, okay? We want to communicate in such a way, and here's the goal. We want to communicate so that if we were to look at Jesus, he, he would be smiling, right? So we're growing in Christ-likeness. All right, let's get to it. Why is communicating during conflict so hard? You ever seen these comics, the why we'll never understand each other? Uh, here's the uh, what, what he heard, what the husband heard is, uh, I'm going to make you wish you've, you were dead for the rest of the week. That's what he heard, okay? Now, what she actually said was, tell me the truth, honey, do I look fat in this, okay? <laughs> now, don't despair, ladies. We got one for the guys, too. This is what she heard as she's lying in bed on death's door, ill, Husband walks by and says, you don't expect me to take care of the kids, clean the whole house, and make dinner, do you? That's what she heard. What he actually said was, are you feeling any better, honey? (laughs) Now, communication is hard for a couple of reasons. One is, we have differences due to nature, all right? So there is the male-female thing, and I realize we're in a culture that's rejecting the whole binary setup, but... God created us male and female, and there's exceptions on both sides of the aisle, but generally speaking, there are patterns in the way men communicate and the way women communicate, and it's different by God's design for good reason, so we complement each other, all right? We, we also have differences based on our personality. Some of us are introverts, some of us are extroverts, uh, some of us sort of enjoy getting into a good conflict, which may be a different problem, and others of us like avoid conflict at all costs, right? We also have differences due to nurture. So in other words, the way we were raised, okay? It, there, there may be uh, differences in culture. You know, the, the, um, the level or the loudness of the way a person communicates in conflict in one home it might just seem normal and natural and no one's, no one's upset even though voices are being raised. In another home, if you get slightly elevated in your tone, it, it seems like you're attacking me, right? So the role models we had growing up, and let me just say this, none of us had a perfect role model growing up. If you grew up in a home where everyone yelled and screamed and anger ruled the day, you might have a tendency to not want to talk about anything disagreeable at all ever, right? And on the other hand, if you grew up in a home where it was the silent treatment all the time, people were angry, a lot of anger there, but no noise because no one was talking. It was just all denied and pushed under the rug. And you might be the kind of person that's like, for crying out loud, someone talk about a problem for once, right? You may have the other tendency to swing the other way. So, It's hard for all of these reasons, hence Paul cuts right in here and says, this is what it looks like to be growing up in Christ in relationship to the way we communicate during conflict, all right? Ready to be convicted? Here we go. Here's the first rule. When conflict begins, Paul says here, we are to be speaking the truth in love, thereby growing up in every way to be more like Christ. Now, at the, at the risk of offending you with the obvious, you know, being Captain Obvious here, let's just break down that phrase, speak truth in a loving way, okay? First of all, that requires 
that we speak. You say, yeah, well, but think about it with me for a minute. If you're the kind of person that doesn't like conflict, you get ulcers when people start raising their voice, then you may choose, you don't want to speak about a problem. You want to just deny that it's there. I'm that kind of person. I don't like, I'm a lover, not a fighter. I don't like conflict. And I would rather just kind of pretend there's not a problem. Maybe if we just don't think about it, maybe it'll solve itself or go away, right? Bad plan. And Paul doesn't give it to us as an option. It's a command. We have to speak to one another when there's a conflict. So no, uh, no clamming up, so to speak. Then look what he says next. We have to speak truth. We have to speak truthfully. Um, now, the obvious first application here, he's been talking about being confused and deceived by wrong doctrine. He's talking about the truth of the gospel, what God has done for us in Christ. We should be speaking that to each other, but also speaking truthfully about, about anything in general. For example, if, if my wife says to me, honey, are you, are you upset? Is something bothering you? And I'm the person that doesn't like conflict. I don't want to deal with this right now. I don't, I'd rather not speak. If I say, uh, no, 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 I'm fine. I'm fine, really. You say, well, yeah, you're just avoiding conflict. No, I, can I say this directly? I just told a lie. I'm not fine. I am not, now I might not be ready to talk about it yet, but I told a lie. So the truth would be, no, I'm not fine, and I'm not ready to talk about it yet. That's the truth. Okay, speak truth. Something bothering you. Or here's another way we sometimes speak untruth. You get in a conflict and you say something like this, you, you always do that. Or here, you, you never. Right? Wait, 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 no, wait, wait just a minute. Always? Like every single time you always do that? That's an exaggeration to make you look worse and me look better. You never, ever. No, that's, a, that's an exaggeration to make you look worse and me look better. Paul says we have to speak truthfully. I'm thinking of that comic about, honey, do I look fat in this? Okay. <laughs> maybe, there's a, maybe there's a time there where it's, it's, not, uh, it's not, you know. I'm telling you, this stuff is hard, right? <laughs> speak truth. And then, here it is, we have to speak truth lovingly. Speak the truth in love. There are three ways that we communicate as humans. One is the words that we choose, right? The words that we choose have to be guided by love in the best interest of the other person. Have you noticed this, that after you've been married a few years, um, each person has buttons, they have buttons, and after a while you learn what the button is, and you can... If you, if you want to just send him to the moon, ladies, say, you're just like your father, okay, or something like that, there's a button. What Paul is saying here is to speak truth lovingly, I know what the buttons are. Sometimes you're learning what they are, but if you don't know what they are, when you learn what they are, you say, I'm not pushing the button to just set someone off on purpose. No, my, the, the choice of the words I use, the tone of my voice you can say loving words that are okay in content, but the tone of your voice says, I really wish you would drop dead right now, okay? So the, the content of the words, the tone of my voice, and then body language, right? I remember 
times when my youngest son was one, one time in particular, he's about three years old and I'm correcting him from my six foot two stature, you know, with a pointy finger, with an angry face. How intimidating is that, you know, for a child? Even if the things I'm saying are correct and in his best interest, I got to find a way to tone this down and even by my body language communicate, you and me are on the same team We love each other, and this problem has come between us, and that's what we have to talk about. But believe me, by my tone, by my face, by the words I choose, I'm communicating not just truthfully, but lovingly and considerately. Wow. So there's the first one. (laughs) You want to grow in Christ? You want to be more like Christ? When conflict comes, we are to speak and to speak truthfully and to speak that truth with love and compassion in the best interest of the other person. So much room for improvement in all of our lives here, right? Okay, rule two. Get this done, trying to get this done in a reasonable amount of time, so I'm running a little fast here. And I know I feel like, man, I just need to sit and think about rule one for a while because there are lots of areas in my life where I'm, I, I tend to tell a little fib instead of just being completely honest, but, but honest in a loving way, right? So that's something to keep thinking about. Let's look at rule number two here. From verse 26, don't let the sun go down on your anger and don't let anger control you. Here's the principle. We are not only to speak truth and love, we are to address issues quickly. I'm taking that from the Don't let the sun go down while you're angry. Now, um, he says here, don't let anger control you, okay? Actually, the Greek is a command. You should be being angry. Now, grandma's theology, you know grandma's theology? Grandma's theology says it's a sin to get angry, okay? Yeah, I understand what grandma's talking about. But grandma is not being biblical in her theology because the Scripture says God is angry with the wicked every day, Psalm 2. Jesus turns at the Pharisees and looks on them with anger, righteous anger. And here in Ephesians 4, it's a command, a present tense, you should be getting angry, okay? But then he quickly says, but don't let anger control you, the New Living here says, Uh, Literally, it says, don't sin with your anger. Now, think about this with me. This is adapted from Dr. J. Adams. Anger is a good thing. It's like the adrenaline in the body of an athlete that when the starter's gun goes off, the person running the sprint, this adrenaline rushes through their muscles and gets them off the starting line and toward the finish line, and, and that adrenaline is a good thing. Anger is like that. When something happens, when someone sins against us, when someone harms us in some way, that response of anger is appropriate, it's God-given for the purpose of taking that energy of anger, you know, the old cartoon image with the cartoon character and he gets angry and it's like he turns into a thermometer and the red goes all the way up to the top and then explodes out the top. That's the energy of anger. And the Scripture makes it clear that's not wrong. 
What's wrong is when we sin with our anger, and there are two ways that we as humans sin with our anger. One is we externalize it, we blow up like the volcano. And when grandma was saying it's a sin to be angry, it's probably what she was talking about, right? So people, pets, and property are all in danger when a person with a short fuse externalizes their anger. I remember in the seventh grade, uh, these uh, platform, I'm really dating myself here, these platform shoes with heels about that, that tall, you know, for guys were, were popular. I was wearing a pair of those. We had one bathroom in our house, and I had two sisters, and uh, it was time for me to go somewhere, and the bathroom was occupied, and no matter how much I pleaded from the outside, all I got from the inside was laughter, like, I'm not coming out of here till I'm done. And I lost control of my temper, and I took that big size 11 and a half platform shoe, maybe not quite 11 and a half in the seventh grade, and I kicked the door, and my foot went clear through the door into the other side. Actually injured myself a little bit in the process. And you know what my father did? My father's very handy. He can do carpentry, electrical, plumbing, mechanical. He can do anything. He left that door like that for months and didn't fix it. And you know why? You know why, right? So every time Sam would go into the bathroom, I'd be reminded that was a sinful expression of anger, right? That's one way we sin with our anger. It causes a lot of damage. We keep moving. Here's the other way we sin with our anger. Now, here's what I want you to notice. It's the same exact level of energy, the same explosive power that we see in the explosion, this is the opposite. It's internalizing our anger. So the the energy of anger that can do such damage to the environment around us, we're now turning it loose on our own selves, on our body, by internalizing it. When your New Testament uses the word, if you're reading and you see the word bitterness, bitterness, all bitterness is, is anger, the energy of anger kind of kept up, clammed up on the inside, right? So what Paul is saying is, don't let anger control you. He means don't blow up so it comes out and hurts other people, or don't clam up so that it internalizes and hurts me. There are all kinds of health problems that can come from internalizing our anger. And we may seem happy on the outside, but we're really burned up on the inside Those are ways we sin with anger. And here's the goal. Anger is an energy God wants us to release, not toward a person, but toward the problem that has separated us in our fellowship. So, don't let anger control you. And then he says, don't let the sun go down on your anger. And here's why. Because little problems, they're like rabbits. They have babies. They multiply rapidly. Little problems become big problems over time. Right? So um, I already used a couple illustrations that, to throw the men under the bus. Let me give you one for you ladies, right? So he, the, your husband comes in uh, um, late for supper, and he, he can tell by your reactions as you're slamming pots and pans around and slamming cabinet doors that you are not happy with him. 
And as he begins to find out why, I'm sorry, I'm a little late, I know, I, uh, yeah, an explosion ensues, right? And there's that, that externalizing of anger. And as the conversation follows, you find out this big explosion, it wasn't even about him being 10 minutes late when he said he was going to be home right at 5. It wasn't even about that. That was just a tiny little annoyance. What it was about was the insensitive comment he made in public two weeks ago, right, <laughs> that really hurt you deeply. And he's, he's clueless. He's absolutely clueless, right? That hurts you deeply, and that was a big thing, but instead of communicating about it, you let the sun go down on your anger night after night after night after night. Guess what? It doesn't go away. It's still in there. And so when something comes up later that's not really a big deal, it becomes a big deal. So here Paul says, every day address the problems of that day. You know, every day address the problems of that day by communicating about it, seeking to please the Lord in the way we communicate about it, right? And then he says, if you don't do that, guess what happens? The devil gets his foot in the door. That's the metaphor that's used. He gets his foot in the door. This is, you know, today it's cell phones that we, we have salesmen approach us on. But back in the day, the fuller brush salesman would knock on the doors of housewives who back in that day were home during the week, and he would try to, whatever he was selling, and the lady's like, thanks, I'm not interested. And as she tries to close the door, the guy, savvy salesman, slides his foot between the door jam and the door. And in those few seconds it takes her to get him dislodged from that, he keeps talking, and he strikes oil. You know, he, he, he says something that she's like, oh, really? Well, maybe, come on in, let me, let me see what you got here, Right? So the devil gets his foot in the door of our relationships as believers, his families, when we don't address problems as they arise, but rather hope against hope that they might, they might go away. So those are the two principles for today. You have three weeks until I come back. I expect these to be worked on and perfected in every family. You know, uh, these, these principles... Uh, Elaine and I used to, uh, as I said, we've taught them in lots of different places. When we were pastoring in the Midwest, we, it was a Baptist church, and every month on a Sunday night, we had an administrative meeting, a business meeting, and we voted on everything, right? And there were often um, disagreements about you know, really important things, like what color the carpet should be in the new building, or really important things like that. And so we decided... This is not only good for families, this is good for our church family. And so we would, at the beginning of the church business meeting, we would teach these, just review quickly these four principles that we had taught to our people before. We would just put them up there on the old overhead projector and say, there they are. Remember, we have to, we have to speak truth and love. We have to address issues quickly, you know, stay current with problems. And then the next two that we're going to share with you in a few weeks and then we would pray. A couple of us would pray. And the prayer went along these lines. Lord, as we talk about our business as your people, help us to do so, leaders and people alike, help us to do so like we believe Jesus is listening and we want him to be smiling. We might not 
agree on something we decide about. There might be still disagreements, but if both sides have communicated truthfully, not burying their anger but expressing it toward the problem, if we do that with God's help and by God's grace, Jesus is smiling. We found it to be an unmixed blessing for our congregation and for our, our children and our home as well. And to this day, you know, we're empty nesters, sort of. Elaine's 95-year-old mom is in our nest <laughs> again. But uh, we, we try to do this. And you know what? The more you do it, the more you see how beneficial it is and the more you're, the more you're impressed with how difficult it is and that we need the Spirit of God to help us. Okay, I've kept you a little longer today. Let's, let's pray. Lord, thank you for the practicality of your word. Thank you, uh, Father, that your spirit is with us as your people as we seek to live these things out. And so I pray for myself and pray for th- these dear brothers and sisters that our conversation, that especially when we are talking about something we may disagree over, that our conversation would be pleasing to you. Help us to be characterized by speaking truth in a loving way. And people who, anytime anger comes in, we are quick to communicate and allow you to work so that we can address issues. We cannot do this in our own strength. And so, Lord, we beg you, please, continue through your spirit to strengthen us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.